Let me read First John chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Well, good morning. Uh, let me add my welcome. It's lovely to see you. Uh, do trust that uh, God will speak to us as we study his word together. Um, it would be helpful if you're able to keep your Bible open in front of you as we go through this passage together. We're in chapter 5, the last chapter of the book of First John. Now, the Apostle John uh, was obviously a man with a clear sense of purpose. If you have read through his gospel, John's gospel, his record of the life of Jesus, then you'll discover that when you get to the end 
of his gospel, he states his purpose, his purpose in writing the gospel. John says in chapter 20, it was written so that you may believe. That you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now here as he draws his letter of 1 John to a close, again in chapter 5 he states his purpose. He is quite clear. Look at verse 13. I write these things, says John, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You have believed in Jesus Christ and now I want you to be assured in your faith that you have eternal life. Um, I'm sure most of you uh, will recognize the brand Uh, Coca-Cola, their marketing campaign for the last 40 or so years, focused on one slogan. It's the real thing. The real thing. Some of you may remember uh, those adverts over the history of Coca-Cola. And if you're a Pepsi drinker or Hayes Tartan Cola, do not be offended. But this was in response to consumer research that showed that people wanted something real. They wanted the original, the natural, and they wanted an escape from phoniness. Now I have a little commentary at home on 1 John, and the title of that commentary is Be Real. And it kind of sums up John's purpose in writing this letter. He's writing to Christians and he wants to assure them that their faith in Jesus Christ is the real thing. Their faith is in the real Jesus and the eternal life that they have received from Jesus is real. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know That you have eternal life. You see the folks within the church. That John was writing to. Were beginning to doubt. Uh, You may remember back in chapter 2. We learned that within the church. There were a group of false teachers. Who had been troubling the, the church. With their false teaching. And they had since left. Chapter 2, verse 19, we read, they went out from us, but they were not of us. John says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Now, these false teachers had abandoned the apostles' teaching about Jesus. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They claimed to be without sin. They claimed that Jesus' death on the cross was meaningless and that there was no atonement from Christ's sacrifice on the cross. John writes to them, be assured in your faith. You have the real thing. Be confident in Jesus Christ. Be confident in who he is. 
and be confident in who you are in him. There are Christians today wrestling with doubt. Christians in this audience wrestling with doubt. There are times in our lives when we all wrestle with doubt. When we pass through a really painful or difficult period in our life. When nothing seems to be going right and you just can't make sense of it all. When you experience tragedy. Uh, When you become disillusioned, disillusioned with church. Or with what you observe in the lifestyle of other Christians. Or you open yourself up to false teaching. You open your life up to sin. Or whatever it is. And you begin to doubt. If God loves me, why would God allow this to happen? Is God real? Is Jesus really God? Can I lose my salvation? Am I really saved? God wants us to be assured about our faith in Jesus Christ. He wants us to live in the full enjoyment of the eternal life that he has given us through Jesus. So here in chapter 5, John pulls all the threads of his teaching together. And he brings it to this conclusion. And he encourages us. By reminding us of the certainties of what we have in Jesus Christ. The things that we know we have in Jesus. The things we know we have in Jesus. So let's look at chapter 5. And I've split the passage into three sections. Now there's a lot in this chapter. We're not going to get into detail in going through the chapter. But I've split it into three sections. In verses 1 to 3... This section is about the signposts of assurance. Verses 6 to 21, uh, John reminds us of the certainties of assurance. Six things that are true of every believer in Jesus Christ. And then we'll go back to verses 4 and 5 and we'll end with the victory of assurance. The signposts of assurance, the certainties of assurance... And the victory of assurance. So let's look at verses 1 to 3. Signposts of assurance. Now throughout the letter John has returned time and again to these same signposts or tests of assurance. And he summarizes them in verses 1 to 3. There are three signposts, three tests that indicate whether we are in possession of eternal life. And the three signposts are, one, what you believe about Jesus Christ. What you believe about Jesus. Number two, who you love. Do I love the family of God? Do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ? And number three, how you live. Do I live a righteous life? Not a perfect life. Do I live a righteous life? Does God's word, do his commandments mean something to me? Do I obey them? Do I live by them? 
Or to put it negatively, as John does in sections of his letter, is my life characterized by continual and habitual sin? Three signposts, three tests about whether I have eternal life. The first signpost in verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It matters what you believe about Jesus Christ. Who he is. What he has done through his life, death, resurrection. It matters what you believe. It is a theological test. The second signpost who you love or the social test in verse 1 and everyone who loves the father loves whoever has been born of him do I love my brothers and sisters in Christ even the ones that are really hard to get on with the ones that are really demanding do I love them Especially them. Am I prepared to sacrifice my time, my talents, my money to help a brother or sister in need? The third signpost has to do with how I live or the moral test. Look at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Now these are not things that we do to earn eternal life. These are signposts. These are indicators. You remember Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not as a result of works. The signposts of assurance. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Now let's move on to the second section. Uh, Verses 6 6 to 21, the certainties of assurance. Now in this section, John brings six certainties, six things that we know. Uh, That's one of the key phrases in 1 John, Um, we know. It occurs something like 39 times throughout the book, eight times here in chapter 5. We know these things, says John. They are Certainties. They are true of every believer in Jesus Christ. Okay, so the first certainty, verses 6 to 12. You can be certain that Jesus is God. Look at verse 5, just for connection. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood. John now provides three witnesses who each testify that Jesus is God. Now this is the first of two tricky sections in today's passage. Now I'm not saying that Johnny gave me a hospital pass here, 
But um, I've been recovering from back pain this week. And it was this passage and not the back pain that almost put me into hospital this week. It's a, it's a tricky passage. But let's look at the first section, these three witnesses. Now, the, the first point is a principle. That under Jewish law, evidence could only be established on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Here are three witnesses. Let's read verses 6 to 8 again. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. So three witnesses, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, the water and the blood. These three witnesses in verse 7 testify. What are they testifying? They are testifying that Jesus is God. And in verse 8, their testimony is in agreement. There is corroboration. So what is the water and the blood? What do these refer to? Well, look at verse 6. This is he... Jesus, the Son of God, this is he who came by water and blood. Now, this is he who came in the sense of revelation. Heaven revealed who Jesus is. Now, the context of 1 John is important here. The context of the false teachers and what they were teaching. They taught that Jesus was not God And they taught that at his baptism, the Spirit of Christ or the Spirit of Messiah descended upon Jesus, the man. But then left him before he was crucified. So they were teaching that Jesus was an ordinary man, that he was not God, and that when he died on the cross, he was just a mere man. The witness of the water refers to Jesus baptism where on a public occasion a voice from heaven was heard to say this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased God is giving public testimony to who Jesus is he is my son the blood this is the witness of Jesus Sacrifice, his death on the cross. Again, it was another public occasion, his crucifixion. And again, there is testimony from heaven. The the curtain uh, of the temple torn in two from top to bottom. The supernatural darkness that covered all the earth. The earthquake, the tombs were opened. People saw and heard these things. We read in Matthew 27 about the Roman centurion in charge of the crucifixion of Jesus. And we read his testimony when he saw these things. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. God is publicly testifying that Jesus is God. And then the third witness, the Holy Spirit... Jesus said in John 15, verse 26, When the Holy Spirit comes, he will bear witness about me. 
Now, God puts his Holy Spirit within each one of us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we read in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That we too are witnesses of Jesus Christ and who he is. Look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Now look at verse 9. This is the testimony of God regarding his Son, Jesus. The testimony of God is greater than the testimony of man. And here's the implication from that. Here, here are the consequences from that. And it's very serious. That if you don't believe that Jesus is God, if you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then you make God a liar. Because you refuse to accept God's testimony. And this is a matter of life and death. Let me read verse 11. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you have life? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Have you come to faith in Jesus Christ? Have, have you given your life to him to follow him? We can be certain that Jesus is God. Now, what are the other things that we can be certain of? And we're just going to, to move through these quite fast. Well, secondly, we can be certain that we have eternal life. Look at verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You have it. Present possession. You have it now. God has given us his spirit. He has brought us into relationship with himself and with Jesus. And in chapter one, John says, our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. That's eternal life right there. The third thing that we can be certain of verses 14 to 17 we can be certain that God hears and answers our prayers. God hears our prayers. Look at verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers. Look at verse 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked 
of him. But notice the qualification. If we ask anything according to his will. Not our will. Otherwise we'd all be driving Lamborghinis and wearing Rolex watches because prayer would just become a shopping list. Those of you who have children, I mean, you just, you don't give children everything that they ask for. Otherwise they would be eating Percy pigs for breakfast, lunch and dinner. The house would be full of puppies and kittens and toys and children don't know what's good for them. The children of God sometimes don't know what's good for us, but God does. So when we pray, it's not our will. We don't try and impose our will on God. We don't try and bend God's will to ours. It's about learning to pray in God's will. Now we come to verses 16 to 17. And and a a buzzer or something should go here. Because this is the, the second tricky section. John now addresses a specific issue. And he's addressing this issue in the context of prayer. And it's in relation to how we should pray for this specific issue. And the issue has to do with a brother or sister in the church who who are committing sin. How should we pray for that? Well, let's read verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask. And God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Tricky couple of verses. Now John distinguishes here between sin that leads to death And sin that does not lead to death. How are we to understand that? Well again, context is so important to understanding this. What leads to death in 1 John? Well, we covered that in verse 12. Deliberately turning your back... On Jesus Christ, deliberately rejecting the truth about who Jesus is, you are rejecting the testimony of God. You are making God a liar. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief leads to death. Now this has nothing to do with losing your salvation. Let me just read John 3 verse 36. Again, it's by the same author, John. He writes this in John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. 
The sin of unbelief which leads to death. Now here were false teachers who had been enlightened to the truth of Jesus Christ. They had had significant exposure uh, to the truth of who Jesus was. Yet in their hearts they persistently rejected the truth. Now in verse 16, John does not say not to pray for such. But he does say that I'm not telling you that you should pray for them. And so the point is this, that our prayers should rather be focused on our brothers and sisters within the church who are struggling and battling with sin. And we can pray in confidence for them. We can pray that God will bring them to repentance and restoration. Why? Because verse 18, we know that everyone who has been born of God Does not keep on sinning. Is there someone that you should. Be praying for. Is there someone on your heart. Someone that you know. Struggling with sin. Here's an encouragement that you can pray. In confidence to God. That that person would be restored. That God would give them life. That God would give them restoration of the joy of eternal life. Now let me just mention the three final certainties. The three things that we know from having faith in Jesus Christ. The second half of verse 18. But he who was born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. He who was born of God, that's Jesus. We know that Jesus protects his people. We can be certain that Jesus protects us. Look at verse 19. We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of God. Of the evil one. We know that we belong to God. This is our identity as a Christian. We are in the family of God. We are His. You are not your own. You are His. And then finally, verses 20 to 21. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. We know our responsibility. God has given us understanding. God has brought us into relationship with himself and with Jesus Christ. And our responsibility is to keep ourselves from idols. Anything that would displace God or displace the truth in our lives. This is what First John has been about. Keep yourselves from false teaching. Keep yourselves from the world. Keep yourselves from sin. The signposts of assurance. The certainties of assurance. Where is, where is all of this leading, John? Well, it brings us to the final heading. The victory of assurance. Victory. Look at verses 4 and 5. For everyone, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Christians, you have the real thing. But you live in a real world. And John reminds us in verse 19 that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That reminds us that Christians will face real and difficult obstacles to overcome living in this world. Persecution for some. Temptation. The pressure to conform. The pressure to stay silent about your faith on certain issues. Being bombarded with conflicting views on scripture and false teaching. It can all be overwhelming for many of us at times. John says, Christian, you have the real thing. Your faith is in the real Jesus. You have real eternal life. And because of who Jesus is, and because of what he has done through his death and resurrection, he has secured the victory. He has overcome. He has overcome the world. He has overcome death. He has overcome Satan. Lord Nelson, um, reporting back to the British Admiralty, after victory over the French at the Battle of the Nile, he wrote, victory is not a large enough word to describe what took place. That's even more true of the victory of the cross. And you... And I may live in a world, we may be surrounded by folks at our schools, in our colleges, in our universities, in our workplaces, or even in our own families, who think that because you're a Christian, and because you have taken a stand for Jesus Christ, they think that you're a loser, that you have wasted your life. And you know, that can be difficult to withstand. That can get to you. And there can be times where you are tempted just to put up the white flag and surrender. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to do. But God sees you as a winner. That's what the word means. God sees you as a victor. He sees you as a conqueror. As an overcomer in Jesus Christ. Because God has given us everything in Jesus. To overcome any obstacle we face in the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. It is the victory of the cross. And this is the application of assurance. The certainties that we have in Christ. We are overcomers. The idea is that ultimately we are invincible. That's what Paul teaches us in Romans 8 verse 37. He says we are more than conquerors 
through Jesus who loved us. Let me just close. I just want to read that passage from Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who has raised, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. It's the same word, overcomer. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Overcomers in Christ. This is the application of the truth of assurance. May God bless His word to each of our hearts today. Let's pray. Father, we praise you as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who has prevailed. We thank you that he has conquered. We thank you that he has overcome. Thank you for the victory of the cross, for the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus. Thank you that by your grace we share in the power of that victory. We thank you for your word. Thank you that you want us to have assurance of the faith that we have in Christ. I pray for any who are struggling, wrestling with doubt. May you strengthen their faith, encourage them in Christ. Pray for those who are struggling with sin. Pray, Father, that they would come to you and know your restoration know your joy once again i pray for those who don't believe that jesus is the son of god pray that by your spirit you would open their hearts and minds bring them to faith to the joy of knowing him pray for the boys and girls downstairs pray for your blessing on them pray that they would come to know him and we just give you the thanks now and praise you and worship you for the god that you are in jesus name Amen.